Brett can you believe it? The Wellness Summit is almost here. Oh, I'm P. I'm so excited. I don't know what to do with myself. Well, Brett it's been two long years since our last Wellness Summit. And if you're listening to this, folks, and don't have a ticket, then... What are you doing? The Wellness Couch family of podcasters gather for two days in Melbourne on Saturday, August 25 and 26, featuring... The Queen of Nutrition, Cindy O'Meara. The rock star of wellness, Dr. Damien Christophe. Connect with your spirit and soul with Barley Bomb survivor, Karen Smith. Self-care is on the menu with Kim Morrison. Master the art of ageing well with the one and only Marcus Pierce. Oh, shucks, Bretto. What about how to recover from rock bottom with Dr. Brett Hill? Master your stress with Dr. Maria Jushman. Get empowered with Imogen Bailey. Female health experts Dr. Andrea Huddleston and Ashley Bond. Master your sleep with Audra Starkey. The natural nutritionist Steph Lowe. Australian Idol winner, Wes Carr. Woohoo! And Quirky Cooking's Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab and a whole lot more. Oh, what a lineup, MP. Seriously, why would you not be coming to the Wellness Summit? Not to mention our world-class exhibition of Australia's most incredible, sustainable wellness products and services. MP, we've done the final layout. There are less than 100 spaces left. And there's only a few discounted tickets available at thewellnesssummit.com. Marcus, be there or be square. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the 2018 Wellness Summit, Saturday, August 25 and 26 at the Collingwood Town Hall. Getting quick, folks. The final release of discounted tickets available at thewellnesssummit.com. See you there, Bretto. Thewellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings Primal Alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making Primal Living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Welcome to the show. Here we are, episode 37. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful. Before we jump into the interview with Laura Jean, I just wanted to share some exciting news with you and ask for your help, actually. So I have been, um, I'm a finalist. I've been, I don't know what that means. I am a finalist in two categories in the Osmumpreneur 2018 Awards which is rather magnificent. Um, so thank you for um, voting for me, if you've already voted for me. And thank you to Primalista Debbie for nominating me for the People's Choice Award for Making a Difference. So that the People's Choice Making a Difference Award is the one you can vote for me for. And I'm in the top 10 out of nearly 150 amazing mums who are doing what they love, like me, doing what they love and trying to make a difference in the world. Um, I'm in, in the top 10, which is just amazing, amazing. So I'm so grateful and overwhelmed and humbled and feel all weird about it <laughs> that I've had so many, to be honest. 
that I've had so many votes. But now that I'm in the top 10, I'm going all guns blazing to try and win this because why not? Why be a little, you know, flower in the corner going, oh, no, no, I'm not worthy. I'm, I am enough. I am enough. And I am living on purpose. I'm convincing myself with this, right? Not you. And I am enough. And I'm living on purpose. And I am making a difference in the world, following my passion and doing what I love. And this is also a really awesome opportunity, a really warm marketing opportunity for Primal Alternative to reach people that haven't heard of Primal Alternative before. So this is going to be really beneficial to people who need to make a shift to more of our kind of primal lifestyle. And it's also going to be really beneficial for all of my Primalista producers in terms of getting orders, creating brand awareness and making their jobs easier too. So I'm buff boots in. Let's do this. In the show notes, there is a link to vote for me. Voting closes next Sunday. So please get onto it. This is the only podcast with a call to action to vote for me for Osmopreneur. So please do it. If you voted last time, you do only have one vote and your vote will um, contribute to, to the, the total number. So thank you. But you can vote for somebody else in your household if you would like to vote for me again. So just a little tip there if you want to. And I'm super, 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 super grateful. I'll be in Melbourne for the Osmopreneur Awards ceremony at the end of at the end of August. And I'll also be in Melbourne for the Wellness Summit, which is going to be on the 25th and 26th of August. So please check that out. Um, I'll be there with heaps of Victoria Primalistas and including Michelle from New South Wales as well. She's creeping over the border for an awesome weekend. We've got Primalistas flying in from WA as well. So it's going to be such an awesome weekend. Um, Two days of inspirational guest speakers, amazing food, and just hanging out with your tribe man for something so energizing to then, you know, return back to your home where you're the crazy one (laughs) nobody really understands what you're doing it's nice to have that momentum behind you and uh, you know just to spur you on in your health journey and um, make you realize that you're not on your own and you have a whole tribe of people who are just as nuts as you how good's that so let's do this. You know, I'm just a mum from Albany. And I always say that and everyone tuts at me. You're not just a mum. There's no such thing as just a mum. But you know what I mean. I'm just a mum from Albany. I live in a shed, 100 acres of nothingness, just wilderness, blissful, peace, awesomeness. And, you know, wow, I'm going to be at these awards in Melbourne. You know, the reality is that if you told me that four years ago, I would be getting on a plane and flying to Melbourne to first of all hang out at an, you know, a weekend summit with, you know, this business that I've created from, from scratch and to talk in front of 800 people and then go to a, an awards night and I have to stand in front of judges. It's like a mini shark tank, right? I've been saying all the time, I'm not going on shark tank. I don't want to go on shark tank. I don't want to go on shark tank. Even Janine has asked me to apply to go. Janine Alice suggested I apply to go on Shark Tank. I'm not going on Shark Tank. I'm not going on Shark Tank. And now I'm going for a mini Shark Tank at the Osmopreneur Awards because the second category that I've been nominated for is 
product innovation. And I think this is really a cool category to be in because, well, it's definitely product innovation in terms of the breads, cookies, jellies, pizza bases and pastries, quirky cooking pastry that we now um, produce. But it's also product innovation in terms of business model to have a home baking business model, you know, where we come together in a community, but you've got this independent business of your own, but you're with lots of people who've got your back and totally get you. It's is it's new. I've never seen um, I've never seen a business model like this before. So I am quite excited actually to stand in front of the judges. They want figures about how my business has grown and all like they do on Shark Tank. I don't have those figures, so I'm just going to have to bluff my way through it and um, and see how it goes. So think of me and wish me luck and vote for me, all right? You're going to vote for me, right? Promise me you'll vote for me. <laughs> I'm so grateful if you do. All right, let's get on to the episode with Laura. So in this episode, we are talking about eating with awareness, trusting our bodies and getting less crazy when it comes to food. And I think we could all do with a bit of a slice of that pie. So Laura Jean is an accredited practicing dietitian with 15 years experience, and she focuses on the whys of eating and how you can connect to your body to guide your interaction with food. Very cool. She's passionate about helping women develop a healthier relationship with food and enjoy every eating experience. Laura helps women to ditch diets and be less crazy around food. And she empowers you to reclaim your inbuilt ability to interact with food and become the expert in your food journey. How cool is that? And one of um, Laura's quotes from the show that I love the most is this, eat everything you enjoy and enjoy everything that you eat. And why wouldn't you? Seriously, why wouldn't you? So let's get on with the show. But before we get into the show, vote for me. Don't forget to vote. Go to the show notes, click the link, vote for H. Love you. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. I'm very excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Helen. (laughs) You're welcome. As always, let's have a start with what you had for breakfast. This morning I had some um, homemade sourdough fruit toast uh, with peanut butter. So, yeah, incredible. Yeah, and a cup of tea, of course. Of course. Yummy, yummy, yummy. (laughs) Do you make the sourdough yourself or is it something that you get locally? No, I do make my own. Yeah, I've been making my own sourdough for a couple of years. So, my starter's, um, I think it's about three years old now. Wow, fantastic. Go you. That yeah. does sound yummy. I'll join you for that breakfast any day of the week. Um, so, Laura, tell us your story. How did you get into the work that you do? Well, um, Helen, I started out as a you know fresh-faced new grad dietitian um, back in the early thousands, and um, you know I kind of was doing the doing sort of the approach that um, we get kind of taught at uni, which is really focusing on what people eat um, and kind of, I suppose, um, positioning, you know, ourselves a little bit of the expert when it comes to food and then helping to educate and teach others around um, what, you know, what kind of choices they can make around food. Um, And I found out, found sort of pretty quickly that 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 approach didn't really work so well for me. Um, I found that a lot of the time when I was working with clients, um, you know, when, if I was ever trying to, you know, give just straight advice and tell them, you know, kind of like, 
tell them what to do, um, that, it, that it never really, um, it, it, it generally didn't work, but also it just didn't really feel, feel right. Um, and so I sort of went on a little bit of a journey, I suppose, to do lots of reading and research, um, having a science background. I'm always into uh, what the evidence says and, and what, what's happening out there, um, looking at what other people were doing or what other approaches um, there were. And so I found a few different, different tools and I started integrating those into my practice. So things like um, motivational interviewing and health coaching um, and using different techniques. And, and I found a, I suppose I found a new way of practicing and a way that helped me to work a little bit more closely with clients um, and help me to shift my focus. And so the two really big changes for me um, working as a dietitian, um, well, the first one was positioning the client as the expert. So the expert in their own food experience and the expert in their own food journey, because they're the ones um, doing the eating. Um, they're the ones living their life day to day. Uh, they know what kind of challenges they're facing, what kind of experiences they have to manage their food around. And so I found that that was a really important um, information to dig into. And sometimes I'd find myself not even like looking at what, what somebody ate so much as why they were eating and what was going on there and what was that whole story. And I found this actually um, not only helped me to connect with my clients a bit more, um, but it also helped them to connect with their own food kind of experience and, and connect with their own health and to connect with what was important to them as opposed to what might have been important to me as the, as the health professional. So that was a really big breakthrough um, and a really... Um, yeah, it just it felt more natural to me. Um, just fit, fitted better with my kind of philosophy of work and and how I interact with people, just in my normal life as well as then in my professional life. And then um, the other part was um, the other really big change was around weight and was around actually not focusing on weight as a goal with clients. Um, and this was always interesting because as a dietitian, a lot of people come to see me to lose weight um, or they've been sent to see me to lose weight or they've got a health condition that um, they feel like they have to lose weight to manage. But what I found was when we focused on weight, um, a couple of different things happened. One, it took the focus off the food, which is obviously um, where where people are kind of making choices and where people are connecting on a day-to-day basis. I mean, the weight's always there in the background, but that's not what we're doing. You know, the weight is kind of, it's being, but it's not what we do. We don't do the weight. Like, you know, we don't, our behaviours are more around what we're eating and how we're moving our body as opposed to a number on a scale. You know, it's not really a behaviour. So I found that um, by shifting that. Um, And the other thing was that, not only are people um, not, you know, not doing their weight, they're doing their behaviours, but also the weight really sidetracked people. So people might make really great changes to their eating patterns, they might be moving their body more, but if that number on the scale didn't change, it just really would um, derail people um, and really affect their confidence and their feeling of self-worth. And I found that, again, even when weight didn't change, people could make really good changes to their lifestyle and also see really good changes in health outcomes as well. So sometimes for clients with diabetes or with um, you know, high cholesterol, even if they didn't change their weight, by changing their eating patterns or their lifestyle habits, they still saw health outcomes. So that was the other big shift for me was to completely not focus on the weight. And I probably stopped weighing clients about three years into my work as a dietitian and I've been um, working for about 15 years now. Um, and actually just completely focusing on on how people interact with food. And so over the years, I've kind of like, you know, I suppose um, adjusted my practice as I get a bit more experience and a few more kind of, um, few more skills. And really now I'm at a point where 
I often don't even talk to clients about what they're eating, but I'm really focusing on why they eat, how they interact with food, how they feel about themselves around food, and, um, and just sort of unpacking that whole relationship with eating and food. And what sort of things have you, have you found when, when you're asking people not what they're eating? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been to a dietitian. I went to a dietitian before I got married because I wanted to lose 10 kilos for my wedding day. And so, so I understand the very you, you t- sort of like conventional dietitian approach, which was it was all completely about, you know, calories and food and low fat and all of that kind of thing. Um, and it, yes, I did lose the weight for, for my wedding, um, but didn't stay off, you know, like, it, and, um, you know, like, and, and, and then sort of went on to have further health complications down the track, um, as, as the listeners will know. But what did you, what did you find when you did start to ask people, you know, their relationship and their behavior around food, what sort of things start to come up? Well, you know, for women particularly, a lot of um, a lot of stuff comes up around our programming around food, um, our food rules, um, and how I suppose really the environment and the the things that we've um, absorbed about food from just from even a very young age. So for a lot of women, they're absorbing messages around food from their childhood, from how their mother or parents interact with food, from comments that people make. And then as, um, as we move into teenage kind of years and early adulthood where the focus is really on our parents and things like that. So there's, that all gets mixed up with food. And it really, um, I suppose what I found a lot was a real big disconnection. So people weren't really connected to what they were eating. Often people didn't even really kind of know how they felt about food. They, they kind of, there was all this guilt and um, negative feelings around eating and food. Um, some of that was from, you know, behaviours that people weren't comfortable, but also a lot of it was just from external messages that people absorbed. So messages from the diet industry, messages from people in their lives um, around what we should do and shouldn't do. And, you know, as women, I think we're, um, it, it all kind of tends to um, kind of bunch up into a ball inside us and it just turns into this, a lot of judgment and guilt. And that, that's probably the biggest thing that I found came up um, for when we talked about this was women had a lot of judgment and a lot of guilt around eating and a real lot of disconnect. So weren't really able to tap in particularly their physical body around food. It was all happening in their head. Wow. Okay, so once that once the um, that your uh, people had um, got more in touch with you know the feelings that they had around food and, and realizing the disconnect that they had and, and and the guilt and all that kind of thing, how did they then unpack that to like how did it then go on to benefit their health? Yeah, it's a big one. Um, I think a lot of the process is just that unpacking um, for a lot of um, people. That takes a lot of work because, you know, it's, it's a, it might be a lifelong way of interacting with food. But when we can get there, what it does is it actually provides, I think it's bigger than health. It, it's actually, it's, it's freedom. It's freedom from diet rules. It's freedom from food rules. It's freedom from you know, looking outside themselves for the reasons around why they're eating or what they're eating or why things are happening to their body or in their, perhaps in their health um, and actually in being able to look inside themselves for that and look at how they're connecting to their food. So for a lot of women, when they're able to free themselves, it is a real sense of freedom, a real sense of relief from that, um, a lot less stress and anxiety around food and food choices, a lot of... Um, 
you know, a lot of that comes around that guilt and, yeah, stress and, sh- and shame around eating. So when that's moved, um, food can kind of become food again. It can become this enjoyable part of our lives. And while it's the important part of our life, it doesn't become the focus. So that was another big um, big change or big shift is that the focus that um, and energy and time that, that these clients, the women that I was working with, were spending on food and trying to control food, um, you know, moves to the side. So, you know, it kind of frees up that time to focus on other things um, in our life and to just focus on the enjoyment of food. And yes, choose foods that nourish our body and help us to feel good, um, but not foods that, um, you know, not, not stress out about it and not, um, not focus, spend so much time and energy on it that it kind of takes over our life. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's the reality, isn't it, Laura, that um, most of us women um, have been obsessing about foods right, right from being a teenager you know, trying to fill up on, you know, uh, carbonated drinks because the diet sodas because there's no calories in there to all sorts of other sort of like uh, dysfunctional <laughs> relationships with food. And I think we've, we've all had the experience. And then if we've transitioned to a paleo primal kind of way of life, then there's, there's a lot of focus around what you can and can't have there as well. And, and but I mean, what, what you're talking about is it's nirvana. It's what we want. We want that freedom. We want that relief. Thank God I don't have to stress out about this and, um, you know, count the calories in my head of what I've eaten today before I fall asleep mm. at night, you know, and, mm. and to have to free up that time. I mean, you know, as I'm talking, these are all stories that, that I've heard from, you know, my, my clients or, or people that I've encountered in my life around, around women and food. So how do we get there? Like, it all sounds great, but where, like, where <laughs> could we start? How can we get less crazy around food? Help. I normally, yeah. <laughs> so normally when I'm working with clients, um, we would probably start sort of in two, two ways. Um, one is really tackling just the physical connection to our food. So a really big part of my work is helping women to actually connect with the physical cues that we're born with. Um, and any of the women listening and, and yourself, you know, anyone with children will, will recognise when you watch a toddler or a young baby eat is that they're really in tune with their physical cues. So, you know, a little, a, a little baby is screaming its head off because it's so hungry. You know, it jumps on the boob or the bottle and it's like, you know, eating and eating. And then as soon as it's had enough, pop you know it's little little lips pop out and and whatever and it's just done and it doesn't matter how tempting that milk is anymore um it's done and that's a real connection to that pure physical um drive to eat a need for hunger eating what the what what is needed and then stopping when when we're when we're comfortable now that doesn't say that um i should point out there that you know when we're when we're eating with our physical cue it's not as it's not like a um, hunger and fullness diet you know it's not a it's not using being really strict with ourselves but it's a really good place to start is to actually connect with our physical cues so for a lot of women it's actually figuring out what hunger feels like because sometimes we've been so scared of hunger um, because when we get so hungry we feel out of control with food that we've lost our ability to actually even feel hunger or we don't let ourselves feel hunger so the first step is usually for women to understand well what does hunger feel like to me and how often do I use that as a cue to eat? Um, so is that my main cue to eat or is it really just kind of like a side issue and mostly using other rules or, or external cues to eat? So that's really where we start. And then once we've kind of got a bit of a handle on hunger, then we might add in satisfaction. So what's the cue that tells you to stop eating? So we might be using a clean plate or you know, a set portion or, or some other external rule. And what we'll try and do is work together to 
to internalize that kind of cue to, to stop eating so fun in that satisfaction point. So that's the physical stuff. And at the same time, what's really important is some of the mental stuff and the self-care. So when we start working on this, a lot of that judgment and guilt and shame that women have had around food for a long time does, t- does tend to come up. And there's this real wrestle inside us around you know, um, is this going to work for me? Am I just going to get fat if I, if I just let my body kind of guide me? You know, is that a safe thing to do? Because we've been programmed from diets and from other external rules to, to not trust our body and not trust ourselves. And basically that if we, if we do trust ourselves, that we will be even more out of control than we already feel now, which isn't the truth, but actually helping women to feel safe and secure in that is another part of it. So that's a lot about um, non-judgmental kind of self-talk, challenging diet thoughts, um, and also a lot of um, self-compassion. Yes. Yeah. I like it. So let's go back to the physical cues. Cause I know, like you say, quite a lot of women don't know what hunger feels like. Um, yeah. and that sounds crazy, right? But it's true because we are so yeah. afraid of, of being hungry and there's lots of different reasons, you know, from our ancestors, why that might've been, you know, handed down as, as something that we do, but what, what, how would you describe hunger? So what would hunger, what are some of the signs to look for when we, when we're feeling hungry? Yeah, so um, generally people feel hunger in one of two places. So usually in their stomach, so that physical tummy grumbling feeling or emptiness. Um, and and the thing to, I suppose, remember is that hunger is a bit of a kind of continuum, so it does build up. So you might get an initial feeling if you're a tummy hungry person of just a little kind of grumble or a little niggle. Um, and then um, as time goes by, that increases to the point where, you know, people sitting next to you can hear your tummy grumbling, you feel really empty, and then you get to that point where you're pretty much like, okay, I'm going to eat my own arm off if I don't actually get some food. So there's that real progression. So it's important to recognise that often why we're scared of hunger is because we generally don't pick up those cues at the start and we don't pick anything up until we're at that eating our own arm off kind of hungry point, and that can feel scary and out of control, which is normal because your body thinks wow, if we don't get some food in now, we might, you know, they might be a feminine, we might not survive. So that's that, you know, that sort of survival mechanism coming in. So really um, that sort of tummy hunger stuff, you know, kind of getting getting some time to kind of recognise the pre-cues of that. So, um, but definitely, you know, a little bit of a bit of a grumble, some noises and just a physical feeling of, of space being made in your tummy. Then the other place where some people can feel hunger is more in their head not as in in their head as in a thought, but more as far as um, maybe starting to lose concentration, maybe feeling a bit tired or lethargic, maybe getting a headache. They're, they can all be signs of um, hunger for people who feel it more, more in their head. Um, so for women when we're first starting out, if they don't really know what uh, hunger feels like for themselves, I generally kind of set them a little task, a little hunger investigation task and get them to find a day where they've got some time and some space to actually be aware um, and get up in the morning and have something to eat kind of within the first two hours of waking up. Now, that doesn't have to be anything really big if, if people aren't big breakfast people. It could just be a piece of fruit, a, a tub of yogurt, something small. But really just something to kind of tell the body that there is food around um, because for people, if, if there's anyone listening who isn't really a big breakfast person or who has gone through um, phases of their life where they don't eat breakfast, when we don't eat breakfast, it often doesn't, um, our, our metabolism kind of doesn't kick in for a little while. So sometimes when you don't eat breakfast, you know, for people who aren't big breakfast eaters, they can go a couple of hours, go to lunchtime without needing anything. 
Um, and while that might seem like maybe a good thing, it, it's actually, you know, adjust, it's kind of, it's not um, starting our, our metabolism for the day. So having something small or light is good to have for breakfast and then just giving yourself time. Um, now, I'm, I'm definitely not against caffeine, but when you're doing this exercise, sometimes it's good to try not to have caffeine um, because caffeine does suppress our appetite a little bit. Um, so just while you're doing this experiment day to maybe, maybe you have your cup of tea or your coffee with your breakfast, but then you don't have any more tea or coffee until you get a hunger signal again, just because, um, and, and people probably, you, you know, people probably are kind of aware of this, that sometimes you can have a coffee, you know, mid morning and it does suppress your appetite a bit. It does help you to keep going a little bit, which is okay. Um, it's just when we're trying to do this, um, exercise to figure out what hunger feels like, it's good mm. to give our body the space. Um, and our body, you know, and, and be able to pick up on that cue. So get up in the morning, have a little breakfast and then give yourself space to feel hungry and, and just time. And that might mean you don't eat until two o'clock that day. Um, it might mean that you eat um, half an hour later after you small piece of fruit, it, it, whatever it is, and it's actually just letting that be. Maybe have a few tasks that kind of keep you busy but don't keep you so absorbed in them that you forget to check in with your body. And that can be a good way for people to just find some space to figure out what hunger feels like for them. Very good. So it's really about connecting to our physical cues and hormones of ghrelin, which is, I always remember that one, for the stomach growling, and and then leptin, which is the the, um, hunger hormone for satisfaction. So it's really just about Mm. tuning back into that and removing all of the distortion around that. And I guess that, you know, all of the, the conditioning we've had around food, like you say, around clearing your plate and all of these sorts of things that really override our ability to know what we need and and how much of it we need and when to stop and when to eat and you know we've sort of been governed by clock the clock you know this is lunchtime this is dinner time oh I can't eat now all of that kind of like <laughs> all of that stuff like you say that makes us crazy um it's, it's mm-hmm. not cool so um tell us about I know because there's quite a lot of um mums that tune into this show and I know you're a mother yourself as I am as well what kind of things can we do to kind of not break our kids uh, when it comes to food? Like, do you have any um, pearls of wisdom that you could share that will sort of help us raise kids who aren't obsessed with food? Yeah, again, this is another sort of twofold thing because one is really um, about working on our own relationship with food because um, like any aspect of parenting, we need to we, we need to model it um, because kids will pick up on what we do. So that's one part of it is, is working on our own relationship with food and, and for the women listening, if you know, if you know that you have um, a history of kind of disordered eating or maybe relating to food in a way that hasn't served you in the past, then definitely getting some help or support to, um, to work on that. And then for kids themselves is really just trusting that they have that inbuilt system like we do. We're just disconnected to it from it. So not breaking that connection is the best thing that we can do. So for kids, it's actually trusting them um, to be the expert in their own food experience. As parents, um, our responsibility, what I teach is, um, and this comes from a, a dietitian in the US who's a bit of a pioneer in this area, um, Ellen Satter. So she encourages parents provide. So parents, we provide the opportunity to eat. So we set the times. Um, obviously, we want that to kind of match up with when our kids are hungry. You know, we don't want to be saying... You know, you can't snack for a whole nother hour if they're already hungry, but um, we set the times. Um, so that might mean that there are discrete and, and actual snack times as opposed to just a complete grazing kind of time. 
So we provide the opportunity to eat and we we provide the options. Um, so there might be a choice of choice of options that you give to the child or depending on their age or if it's dinner time, it might just be this is what the family are eating and then the child decides. So the child decides if they eat at all and it's completely their right not to choose, to choose not to eat and it's a really important and sometimes a hard kind of job as a parent to respect that and not to try and bribe them or reward them or encourage just that one little bite, you know, to actually just respect, okay, that's fine, you can choose not to eat but this is the only opportunity for eating until, you know, whatever it might be. If it's dinner time, it might be breakfast. If it's um, lunchtime, it might not be till snack or whatever it might be, so making that quite clear. So, Children get to decide whether they do or donate and then they get to decide the amount. So, again, respecting that. If they um, are asking for seconds or thirds or fourths or fifths, respecting that. If they have two bites of food and say they're done, it's respecting that. So that can be a bit tricky, particularly when we're still working on our own relationship with food. But, yeah, the two big things there are parents provide, so we provide the opportunity and the, the options, and then children decide whether they do or don't eat um, yeah. and how much. I love it. I love and, it. And that's good. That that's really really helpful. I, I, and that's what we do at, uh, with our kids, and I'm sure that's what you do with your kids too. And um, something I find that's really helpful as well is to just always have uh, only whole food. Like the, you only have the foods you want your kids to eat in the house. So um, I let my kids, you know, help themselves to foods because some days you have days like where you know they they don't eat much breakfast or they're too tired by the time it comes around to dinner time and they're don't feel like eating a lot then but yet you know after school you know that that sort of hour after school is when I find my kids are the most hungry so but I'm not I'm not prepared to make an an evening meal at that time four four o'clock is too early it doesn't suit our family rules I want my husband you know our family rules our family's there you know I want my husband to be back from work as well so we can all have a dinner at half five right so you know just allowing them to 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 get the foods that they want it's, it's almost like it gives them that that um it's teaching them to to listen to their hunger and what do I what do I feel like and and to be, to be able to choose from a range of delicious foods and nutritious foods for them I think that that's really good and it takes it less of a job for me you know like my kids are eight and uh, ten and they make their own lunch boxes every day um which I like and and it, it, it helps it, they know there's like four little uh, cubes in the box so they know it's this a protein a veggie a fruit and then, then like a nice healthy snack like a cookie or something um so they know to um how to build their lunch box and i think that that's a really good job too like it's one thing i can't be bothered doing show me a mother that loves doing lunch boxes hello we're all over it after you <laughs> after kindy it gets a bit boring um but you know it, we're getting them involved and trusting them and not judging them and not having i had a lot of shame around food you know like people would poke your tummy and say oh don't think you need any more of that oh I think you've had enough of that all that kind of yeah and that's and that's it makes you crazy right definitely and and you you really hit the nail there about that judgment um really removing judgment um and again that's where for we really need to make sure we've worked on our own relationship with food because if we're still judging ourselves around our food choices that naturally will come out we won't necessarily think it's judgment but when we're actually you know, judging our child if they're grabbing for the third or fourth cookie off a plate when you're at a friend's house. Oh, no, I think you've had enough there or things like that. Um, 
that kids pick up on that just like we did as kids um, and even as we do as adults. Um, these days we're our own judge though, um, but for kids we are the most important kind of people in their lives. So what we say has a big impact. So removing judgment from food um, and that connection between good and bad means that you're good and bad. So mm. a lot of women, um, and I'm sure lots of your listeners would um, kind of relate to this, is we've absorbed that message. When we eat good foods, we are good. And when we eat bad foods, we are bad. And that's really a message we don't want to send to our kids. Um, some language that we use around here is more the sometimes um, and everyday foods. Um, so even taking away that health the unhealthy message because even if we come at that from our own you know the best kind of um angle for us um it does get co-opted externally so i've even found um, my child she's just started my oldest has started going to preschool and she came home talking about unhealthy choices um and how they weren't good um you know how they were bad um and i was like oh well we don't you know, we don't think about food like that in our family. We just think about some foods are just foods that we have sometimes. Um, they're fun foods. They're foods that we enjoy. But, yeah, really um, being careful around that wording because even sometimes healthy and unhealthy can really come with a judgment. That's because right. Because kids hear us talking, and, you know. Yeah, about. that's so true. And also what's healthy for one person might be unhealthy for someone else, you know, like. Exactly. So yep. it, a nice slice a of whole vague. meal, whole grain bread is a, can, be, can be a healthy choice, but for a small child with celiac disease, that's not healthy. Not so healthy. My Life-threatening. Yeah. <laughs> Breakfast of peanut butter on my toast, great. Child with peanut anaphylaxis, not so healthy. Not so, so good. Removing that judgment aspect. Um, yeah, and, and also challenging our own food rules um, because just like, again, like any aspect of parenting, we come to it with our own experience. And so really challenging, you know, we might have had rules in our family of um, as we grew up and, and we definitely did in my actual own personal family of that you had to finish dinner before you could have dessert, um, you know, and that's a, that's a classic one. Um, what can be more productive is to actually just, if you're serving dessert that night is to have dessert and that's part of the dinner. So you know, so you go, okay, well, tonight we're having a meal. I mean, Ellen Satter, the lady I talked about before, she actually encourages you to put it on the table at the same time um, as, the, as the main meal um, and giving children the option. Now, sometimes that can kind of push our comfort zone a little bit around mm-hmm. food, but um, if you're willing to try it. And I actually have done that with my, with my girls before, um, you know, put a little tub of custard next to their plate and often they'll, they'll go for the custard first. But if they're still hungry, they'll still have what's on, what's on their plate. Um, so... Yeah, trusting them. I think it comes back to that trust. Um, but yeah, but so I suppose challenging those food rules that we have carried over and when we're about to kind of, um, you know, dish them out on our own children or in our own parenting is just to pause and think, well, where does that come from? And does that actually help my child to connect to their relationship with food and to connect to their body? Or does that start to remove that connection? And also does that have any judgment attached to it? So with the whole you have to finish your dinner to get a dessert, then that really removes their connection to their physical body because if they enjoy what you're going to have for dessert, they might, you know, realise, oh, well, I have to eat past the point of comfortable for me to be able to get the food I really like Mm. Um, or that this food isn't, you know, enjoyable because kids naturally will maybe not enjoy all foods um, when they're little because foods are different. So they might think, okay, well, vegetables aren't enjoyable and you only eat vegetables to get the treat um, versus what you want to have is more that neutral approach that all foods part of healthy diet. And sometimes we enjoy foods and sometimes we don't um, because over time kids will often enjoy vegetables if they're kind of left to their own devices. Um, you know, most adults will come back to vegetables unless they've had a pretty horrific experience um, just because we, we recognise how, how they make our body feel and once we're really connected to those foods and if we can maintain that connection, then 
yeah, building, um, allowing those the kids to kind of keep that connection to their food and that trust in their body. Yeah, love it. And I was uh, um, chopped up uh, raw carrots in a ramekin dish uh, by the side of my dinner plate girl for years when I was growing up. Um, that was the only vegetables I would eat. And now, obviously, I eat that's the bulk of my diet. That ninety percent of what I eat is vegetables. And mm. a lot of the a lot of health professionals that I come across had shocking diets as kids. And so I almost think it's it's almost a case, isn't it, of letting the kid um, walk their own path in life. And, and, you know, maybe they're not going to eat exactly what you want them to eat, but maybe that's, you know, some greater plan that they've got that they need to have these experiences to go on and be who they need to be in this world. Because quite a lot of um, health professionals have come from a health crisis themselves one way or another, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and I think too, over time, um, if we can teach our children anything, but if it's just to trust their body, then they'll, they'll realize which foods feel good inside their body and which foods nourish them and which foods don't. And that's different for every person, but that's really the kind of, you know, it's rather than telling them which foods they're going to like or which foods are good for their body, but allowing them to figure that out for themselves, providing, you know, obviously the options that we, we feel are part of our own kind of you know, um, food dynamic in our own, in our own families, but allowing them to make choices within that. Love it. And, you know, it, it seems like it's, it's easy for kids cause they haven't lost that connection. You know, they've, um, they, they're, they're fresh, they're new, they're not broken. So if we can just leave them alone, they'll, they'll do really yes. well. But what about yes. those, like, what about for a 40 year old something woman who's tried every single diet under the sun, has got uh, terrified to trust herself and let herself go. Maybe she's got some, you know, kind of um, overgrowth that had given her sugar cravings. Um, How does she go on to trust herself? Is that something that she can do on her own or is it better to, to get the advice of a coach like yourself? I think it depends. If, if somebody has, um, has a relationship with food where they're just, they're at a point where they, where they don't know where to move forward or how to move forward and they just can't see a space where they could trust themselves, then definitely reaching out to somebody who can provide them support, um, particularly around not only those physical cues but, you know, working on that self-care and self-compassion, which is so important. Um, but for, for some people, they can be, you know, ready to kind of start that journey, if you like, by themselves. Um, it's, it is really about trust and it's about letting go um, of, of all those rules and challenging them. Um, it is tough to start with though um, because there is all that fear that we've been been taught that, oh, what if we do all this um, and, yeah, we feel worse or we get fatter or, or our sugar cravings or whatever it might be might be out of control. The reality is that a lot of that stuff actually comes from our restrictive mindset. So, Diets don't work, um, but when we've been on diets or rules or I suppose um, messages outside of ourselves to guide our food intake, then they can actually set us up for some of these habits that we think are the things we're trying to control. So take sugar cravings, for example, um, or, or kind of binge eating. A lot of that can be directly related to how heavily we restrict those foods. So the more we restrict certain foods or see certain foods as forbidden, sometimes the more those foods become a problem. Um, and actually by taking that away, as scary as it sounds, by taking away that deprivation mindset around those foods and that kind of um, all or nothing thinking, we can actually kind of um, kind of develop a bit more of a healthier relationship with those foods. So as scary as it sounds, sometimes what we're actually trying to avoid is the very thing kind of causing our craziness around food. Um, so if that 
feels a bit scary and something that women don't feel like they're ready to tackle by themselves, then definitely reach out, whether whether it's a um, an intuitive eating or eating kind of like my type of approach dietitian, whether it's a counsellor or a health coach or somebody that um, that can support them in that way. And it is scary when you're kind of going to let go of food rules and, and things, but... <laughs> As, as many of the women, you know, who are listening and, and even yourself when we've been on different health journeys and come to our, I suppose, enlightenment in other areas, that c- can happen around food as well. And if we can trust our body um, and, I suppose, you know, look, to the, look at the little people in our life and how well they're connected to their body and know that that still exists in us. We have this internal food navigation system, which is kind of like GPS for our food. And if we can connect back to that, then we can actually heal that relationship with food. But it does take a leap of faith. Like most um, most personal development or personal growth things, um, areas, we, we do need to just kind of trust in the process a little bit, um, as scary as that sounds. Um, but often what I'll put to, to women when I'm working with them is, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Because for most women, they're in the worst that can happen right now. Like when they're sitting in front of me and I'm working with them, this is the worst that can happen. You know, they're feeling uncomfortable in their body. They're not liking their body. They're not trusting food. They feel out of control and crazy around food it doesn't get much worse than that. So what is the worst that can happen if we take this leap of faith together and we work on helping them to build trust? You know, what's the worst that can happen? Probably can't get much worse, but what's, what could happen is perhaps they could see freedom and, um, yeah, and, and, you know, releasing themselves from those, those traps around food and that crazy feeling mm. um, and finding, finding happiness and connection to food and actually enjoying the food that they eat um, and eating what they enjoy again. Fantastic. And I love that. So they're already living their the worst case scenario it's like yeah i mean yeah worse than they're not reaching out for help from from me or from you or from someone else if they're living their best life you know if, if they're in a happy place they're not looking for help they're in the place where they feel like it's the worst that can happen right now so really what what you know, what have we got to lose? And while that might sound like a bit of a random way to come at this, it, it really does kind of, you know, make you think, well, yeah, like it's, it's worth a shot because if you feel crazy around food now, you're not comfortable in your body, you're not happy with how you relate to food in this moment, then there's a chance that working together and, and helping, helping you connect to your food that you can, can move to a place where you're more relaxed around eating, where you enjoy what you eat, and, yeah, you're less crazy around food. And I know that can happen. Yeah, um, I've seen it happen time and time again, but it's really for the women listening and, and you know, is, is, is trusting that um, if they can't trust it, then at least think, well, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, yeah, I love it. So just to kind of round us off, what, have you got any other tips around how we can develop our, um, just kind of like flex our intuitive eating muscle, I guess, Laura, like around what other things can we do? Like, does it matter where we sit and eat our food? Does it matter if we're watching telly while we're eating our food? Those sorts of things. Yeah, I think um, sometimes uh, we might need to have a little bit of space around this when we're starting out. So sometimes just to give ourselves space to pick up on those physical cues. So before we eat, um, you know, giving some time to actually check in with our body. But those kind of things like eating in front of the TV or eating with distractions while we're working, that can sort of stop us sometimes from picking up on our satisfaction cue. So sometimes, um, you know, we've all been... We can probably all, um, you know, nod our heads in agreement of those times when you've sat down to eat something and then you look down and it's like, oh, that's all gone. I don't remember the last so kind of few mouthfuls of that. It's so yeah, and particularly when it's something you enjoy. Um, so there's it's twofold. One, you can increase your enjoyment and the other thing is you can pick up on that comfort, that satisfaction point. Um, now, that doesn't say you need 
mean to say, you know, you need to sit in a distraction-free environment and just focus on your food because that can be a little That's bit crazy. crazy making food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, the best way to interact with food is with people, um, people around you um, and, and conversation, you know, the way we're naturally evolved to um, interact with food. Um, and so that's the best way if you can. So that's where family meals can be really important or at work actually breaking and going into a space and sitting with colleagues and have, even if you don't like your colleagues enough to talk to them, at least just being around other people, you know, it just kind of gives us something else to kind of focus on. Um, if you're by yourself, um, maybe it's, maybe it is sort of like reading something a little bit light on your phone or, or an entertaining book, but pausing and just giving yourself opportunities just to check back in with your body. So that can be a practical way to get around that. So you don't have to sit there, you know, in that real focused environment, but add some pauses in. So Sometimes when I first work with clients, I might encourage them to kind of just visually halve their meal. And so, you know, eat the first half of their meal and just put in like a little bit of an exaggerated pause in that halfway point. Check in with their body, how they're feeling, how they're enjoying their food and how the physical sensations are. And then if they feel like they need more food, which, you know, most people will at about halfway point, but popping in another halfway point of what's left and, and doing it again and continuing to kind of pause and obviously what will happen is as you get closer to the end of the meal, you're just pausing a little bit more often just so you can pick up on that physical cue of, of satisfaction. In saying that, it doesn't mean you have to stop eating there. If it's really delicious, you can keep eating. Intuitive eating or eating with a connection to our body doesn't mean, you know, only eating when we're hungry and stopping when we're full. It's respecting all the roles that food plays in our life. But it's also um, building our awareness of those physical cues and, and doing those actions with awareness as opposed to, you know, getting to the end of the meal and going, oh, I didn't need those last three mouthfuls. Yeah. If you eat those three mouthfuls because you enjoy them, it's doing it with that intention. Yeah, I love that it. makes sense. It does make sense. And this is all very reassuring because re it's not rocket science. Like I'm not saying it's hard, right? You know, but it's, it's reassuring. It's really just a case of sort of getting rid of the distractions and tuning in and listening to our bodies and what that, what our cues are and allowing ourselves, like you said, you know, to, 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 um, look at all the other roles that, that food plays and, and have that good in, you know, have that set that intention as to, as to how you want it to go, which I think is, oh, it's just, it's a, it's a real relief. So to, to, <laughs> to finish off, tell us what your thoughts are on the three great areas of any kind of eating regime i won't say the word diet so no you don't you know diet let's just touch on the word diet actually because diet just means what you eat right but our diet it's been it's it's changed from a noun into a verb like you're on our diet mm. like you're dieting you know and um that's yes. something completely different so when we talk about diet we just mean what we're eating like when you talk about a horse's diet you don't think yeah. it's going to Weight Watchers, right? It's just what the, what the no. horse is eating. So human diet. So when we talk yeah. about a human diet, there's usually there's three um, great areas. No matter what 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 you eat, whether you're a vegan, paleo, you know, standard Australian diet, whatever it is, coffee, alcohol, and chocolate. I'd love to know your personal opinion on those three great areas. Well, my overarching motto on food is to uh, eat everything you enjoy and to enjoy everything you eat. So if you enjoy those things, then I think incorporating them into your eating plan, whatever that looks like, is um, really important um, because when we deprive ourselves of anything we enjoy, then we're not actually, you know, kind of honouring that internal, that, that connection to our body. Um, personally, I enjoy all three in, in reasonable, reasonably regular amounts, uh, particularly wine. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I like my coffee. I mean, for me, for caffeine, I find 
just personally, it, it, it kind of upsets my tummy a little bit if I have too much. Um, but that's, 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 again, it comes from connection. It's not saying I shouldn't drink coffee because it, it upsets other people's tummies and, and it causes gastric, you know, complaint for people, you know, that's actually by recognizing that connection within myself. And so for people, what I would generally recommend with those kind of, um, those three things is to actually enjoy them in amounts that work for you, that, that help you to feel like you're enjoying those foods um, and that feel comfortable in your own body and figuring out what that might be. So not restricting alcohol, coffee or chocolate because you're supposed to or because X diet plan said you should or that one didn't or your neighbor's cat, you know, found that they interacted with that food in that bad way. You know, it's really about enjoying them if you do enjoy them and enjoy them in amounts that, um, yeah, that, that help you to actually enjoy them and not feel like... I suppose crap. Um, if if those certain foods or drinks do make you feel that um, in certain amounts, so again, I think it comes back to that connection um, to really listening to how your body responds to those things um, and uh, and include them in your diet on diet in the way of eating plan. Um, include them in your diet in a way that works for you um, without worrying about how it works for other people or what somebody said you should or shouldn't do. Um, and yeah, again, going back to that, eat what you enjoy and enjoy what you eat. If you don't enjoy them, leave them out. And if you do, then by all means, enjoy. Absolutely. I love that. I'm going to use that as a quote for, the, for our podcast episode. Eat everything you enjoy and enjoy everything you eat. And really, yeah. like, if it's not delicious, why bother? Like, you know, I know that yeah. in the past I've eaten things purely because I thought they were healthy, but now gladly reached a place where, um, yeah, everything I eat is delicious. I don't need to have a cheat yeah. day or a detox from my, the way that I eat because mm. I have developed that intuitive eating. And I think that this is such a relief to so many listeners because, you know, we can take away all of that shoulds and shouldn'ts of the diet industry and really focus on um, compassion for ourselves, tuning into mm-hmm. ourselves, because there's really nothing more empowering is there than being becoming an intuitive eater and really con- having that connection with your food and being present. I mean, it's just so much... So add so much joy to the whole eating experience and why not let that be? It's, a, it's part of the human experience. Eating is fantastic. Thank God we have to do it a few times a day because it's one of the, one of the best things in life is to create a beautiful um, meal and to eat it. So awesome, awesome information today, Laura. Really, really grateful. Now, if people want to work with you, mm-hmm. how can they work with you? What, what sort of... Um, modalities or do you offer at the moment um i'm offering um still offering one-on-one coaching um now i'm based in canberra in australia so if anyone's um in canberra then there's the opportunity to work with me face to face um but also i provide skype or or zoom or even just good old-fashioned phone um consultation so you know if people want to work with me they can access me from anywhere in australia or anywhere in the world in fact um, and, and that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm working on launching a, um, a program later in the year. So people can kind of get more information about that over at my website. Um, but yeah, if, if people want to um, work with me, they can head over to eatwithawareness.com um, and find out a little bit more about my approach, I suppose, my services, um, and, and get in touch. And I'd love to, um, yeah, love to, love to chat to people. I'm also um, happy to answer any questions if people have some follow-up questions from our um, chat today to reach out. Um, you can catch me, Laura, at eatwithawareness.com. And um, what I thought could be a really useful tool um, from our chat, um, Helen, was maybe a, um, a, a sort of a hunger and satisfaction scale that, um, that people can use as a, as a tool to help them to kind of get started. 
um, around eating with awareness. So if your listeners, if anyone's listening is interested, um, they can head to eatwithawareness.com forward slash primal and I'll post a, um, a little sign up there for people can um, get that emailed out to them um, to get them sort of started on their um, eating with awareness journey. Fantastic. And that's really generous of you. I know that uh, a lot of people will be taking you upon that. So thank you for that. So eatwithawareness.com and also on Facebook, Eat With Awareness. That's the same there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Facebook, yeah, Eat With Awareness. That's where you can find me. There's links from my website over to Facebook if that's where you hang out a little bit more. But yeah, eatwithawareness.com forward slash primal and I'll pop up um, the little scale for your listeners so that they can um, access that and, and yeah, get started on, on their own kind of journey towards intuitive eating and hopefully their journey towards freedom. Yay, we love it. Thank you so much for being with us today, Laura. No worries. Thanks for your time, Helen. And thanks um, for your time, everyone out there listening. Um, And go and eat and enjoy. Love it. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.